Well, if you have your Bibles, uh, turn with me to the opening pages of God's great love story. Genesis chapter 2, verses 7 through 9. Genesis 2, verses 7 through 9. We're going to begin here, the beginning of God's story, love story. We're going to end at the end of God's love story, Revelation 22. We'll get there in a few minutes. This morning, we're going to start a new study called The Voice of God. The Voice of God. And as we begin this study, I want to ask you a couple of questions. I want to make a couple of statements and just, um, just sort of as a starting point for, for us together. So let me just ask a couple questions here. Uh, you can just raise your hand if you, if you uh, uh, agree. How many of you believe that the Bible is the inspired word of God? The Bible is the inspired word of God, yes? We believe that around here. How many of you believe that God still speaks today? Yes? Um, and that God still speaks to you today? Yes? And maybe the more important question is, how do you know when it's God speaking to you and it's not like the burrito or something that is left over from last night? Like, how do you know that it's God speaking to you? We're gonna talk about that over these next few weeks. Being able to hear and to know and to respond to the voice of God. Uh, when I went to bed last night, late last night, I recounted three separate conversations in my day yesterday, one text exchange, in which our conversations had to do with God speaking. Hey, God said this, or I think God said that, or I'm responding because God said this to me, I'm doing this, or what do you think? Is this God? I'm not sure. God's word tells us that he speaks. He speaks through visions and dreams. He speaks through people. He speaks through his creation. We just sang about that. He speaks through his creation. But the primary word that God, the primary way, sorry, the primary way that God speaks to us is through his word. It's the primary way. And if anything is contrary, if any word you hear is contrary to God's word, then it's not God. I want to invite you to uh, enter into a familiar story, a story in which God speaks really clearly, his voice is direct. And as we hear God's voice in this story, I want to encourage you to invite, I want you invite him to speak to you, to speak to you, like right here and now, for God to speak to you clearly and directly, compassionately, tenderly. But I want to ask you to invite him to speak to you through his word. Let me give you the setting of this story and then we'll dive into it. Uh, if you've been around the church for a little while, you probably know the beginning of Genesis. Right? God created the world and God blessed the world. And now he's gonna bring life. He's gonna bring humankind, humans. He's gonna bring humans into his story. Humans that he'll ultimately partner with in just about everything he does in this world. He's gonna partner up with humans. So he's gonna bring these humans into the world. And this is where we land Genesis chapter two, verse seven says this. Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living being. Now the Lord God planted a garden in the east of Eden and there he put the man he had formed and the Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. And in the middle of the garden were the tree of life and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. So God makes man, he drops him into the garden of Eden. 
There are these two trees in the garden. One tree we hear a lot about in these first pages of God's love story. The second tree we hear a lot about the end of God's great love story, last few pages. We'll slide down, verse 15, we're gonna hear God's voice. The Lord God took the man, put him in the garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, you're free to eat from any tree of the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat from it, you will certainly die. God's giving direction. He's being really clear here, clear instruction. God is encircling Adam in boundaries of love. He's giving him some boundaries, boundaries in love. Hey, this is where we are. This is how we're gonna operate, right? Verse 18, uh, the Lord God said, it's not good for the man to be alone and I will make a helper suitable for him. And so God puts Adam asleep. You probably know this story. And from God's side, he creates Eve and Adam and Eve enjoy the blessing of each other. They enjoy the blessing of God, beauty and wholeness and love. They get to experience it. And all things were good. All things were very, very good. And then the beginning of chapter three, verse one, we hear another voice speak. Chapter three, verse one. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree of the garden? There's a lot, there's a lot going on here. But I want you to notice the tempter's voice. I want you to hear his voice because he questions God's voice. Did God really say? Hey, Eve, did God really say? First time the serpent is mentioned, what he's mentioned doing is questioning God's voice. Verse two, the woman said to the serpent, we may eat from the trees in the garden, but God did say, you must not eat from, you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden and you must not touch it or you will die. Now, obviously there's a romance of Adam and Eve that are happening because Eve wasn't there when God first said to Adam. And so Adam has said to Eve, hey, these are the boundaries of love that we're gonna live in. So Eve knows the rules. She knows, hey, these are our boundaries. She knows where we stand. The woman says back to him, Verse four, you will certainly not die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. A lot going on here, but among other things, I want you to hear that here in the garden, the serpent introduces doubt. Doubt of what God said and more poignantly, doubt about her relationship with God and about God's relationship with her. Real quick, uh, I will do the hand raise thing one more time. Anyone here ever heard God speak? Raise your hand if you've ever heard God speak. Yeah, a few of you guys heard God speak, yes. Maybe you've been reading scripture and all of a sudden something just jumps out at scripture and it just kind of grabs you and you just go, whoa, whoa, I didn't see that before. What is going on? And it just holds you. Or maybe there's, you know, maybe there's a vision or a dream that you have that says, go and do this thing and this is gonna happen. And 
you're going to be a part of it and it's not going to be amazing. It's not going to be awesome, but I want you to go. Trust me, you can go. Or, or, or maybe, you've, you know, maybe you've heard God call you just to step out. Just take a step. Just take a step. Maybe one simple step. Maybe nothing crazy, but maybe you've just felt God give you just a little push. Say something or do something. Or... And maybe if your story is anything like mine, as time goes on, you don't see that thing happen or what you thought you heard a little while ago or what gripped you so powerfully at one point maybe just kind of loses its grip on you and you're just kind of like, ah, did I really hear something there? Did that really happen? Is that really God? And as time goes on, I don't know if you're like me or not, as time goes on, you begin to wonder or I begin to wonder, did God really say that? Or maybe that's the temptation from the serpent, from the evil one. Did God really say that? God doesn't really talk to you. God doesn't really, God doesn't really talk to you. And the tempter begins to question my relationship with God. Now it's not so much about what God says, but it's about whether or not we have a relationship with each other. God doesn't trust you. God's holding out on you. You can't trust him. Who do you think you are that the God of the universe is going to tell you to go and do something? Who do you think you are? He begins to question. He begins to infuse this bit of doubt in our relationship with him. And then, man, a tempter just goes after it. He just goes all the way to God's motive. He just questions God's motive. God knows that if you do that, you'll be like him. And God doesn't want you to be like him. God's holding out on you. God's... As we begin this study... Be assured that God still speaks and that what God says will come to pass. His will and his way shall prevail no matter what happens in this earth, no matter what circumstances go down. If God says something is going to happen, it is going to happen. If you hear God speak and you know God is speaking, you will most likely also hear these whispers. Sometimes blatant whispers, sometimes maybe indirect or subtle whispers. And sometimes those whispers can move right through the core of your being. Whispers that introduce fear. Whispers that introduce doubt. Whispers that will allure you into believing something other than God's promise. Something other than his protection or his provision. Whispers that suggest you really don't know what you're talking about. You didn't hear that because he doesn't love you. He's not who you think he is. Well, this is the next verse. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. And then the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized that they were naked. And so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. The tempter stands outside Adam and Eve and he speaks this lie opposing God's word. And he initiates this temptation and Adam and Eve respond and they fall. There are three avenues of fleshly temptation present in these verses and I would imagine that they're very similar to the temptations that you and I 
face on a daily basis. Let me just point these out real quick, these three fleshly temptations. The first is Eve saw that the tree was good for food. It's the lust of the flesh. The desire to do something contrary to God's will. Lust of the flesh. Eve saw that it was pleasing to the eye, the lust of the eyes. The the desire to have something or someone apart from God's will. And then thirdly, Eve saw that it was desirable for gaining wisdom, the pride of life, the desire to be something apart from God's will. John, the beloved, writes these words, 1 John chapter 2, verses 15, 16, and 17. Do not love the world or anything in the world. For anyone who loves the world, the love of the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. Let me pause here and take a left-hand turn. So I need you to stay with me for a minute. Just go left-hand turn real quick. There's lots of ways in which we read the Bible. There's lots of ways in which we read God's word. There's lots of ways in which we hear God's word. Our friends at the Bible Project say there's probably three ways in which most people hear God's word. And maybe you fall into one of these three ways. Some of us read the Bible like a theological dictionary. We like to read the Bible so that we get precise definitions about theological issues to help us shape our view of reality or what's true about the world or what's true about God or heaven. Some of us read the Bible as a moral handbook. The Bible gives us clear rules, right and wrong, kind of tells us a little bit about how to live and right relationship with others and right relationship with God. Some of us read the Bible that way. And then the third way some of us read the Bible is sort of like a devotional grab bag. You just kind of close your eyes and you open it up and you point to it and you go, ah, yeah, wow, God's speaking to me. Check this out. It says this. And this applies right to my life today. Has that ever happened? Have you ever done that? Some of us do that. We approach God's word as like a devotional grab bag Uh, We kind of want to know how to live, uh, but we sort of pick and choose to what we want to read, pick and choose to what we want to know. The Bible is so much more than all of those things. Eugene Peterson says this, I love this, spiritual theology or using scripture as text does not present us with a moral code and tell us live up to this, nor does it set out a system of doctrine and say, think like this and you will live well. The biblical way is to tell a story and in telling, invite. Live into this. This is what it looks like to be human in this God-made and God-ruled world. Live into this. I mentioned on Friday uh, to our men's study, I mentioned on Friday that I was introduced to reading God's word incarnationally on a trip that I went to Israel 
when the people of Israel would tell God's story, they would put themselves in the story. They would put their family into the story as if this story was happening to them. And the way in which they introduced me to read the Bible at the time was incarnationally, put myself into this story, see my story named a part of God's larger story. And so a few years ago, I started reading God's word incarnationally and his voice became much more personal and much more passionate and it became a whole lot bigger. As we move into these next verses, I wanna invite you to hear God's word incarnationally as if he's speaking to you right now, you right here, right now. I wanna invite you to allow yourself to live into this, live into this story. Right, here we go, verse seven and eight. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized they were naked. They sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. And then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Sins now introduced Adam and Eve to shame and fear. Sin does what it always does. Sin separates. It's what sin does. It separates us from God. It separates us from one another. And it separates us from our truest selves. They're hiding. But in the midst of sin, Matt just read uh, right after, just before he was giving the announcements, Matt just read about how God acts, how God moves. In the midst of sin and shame, God moves. He doesn't allow sin and shame to move, to win for one more second. He takes initiative. He moves towards his beloved. He refuses for Adam and Eve and for you and me to allow sin to rule and reign for one more second. He says, no, he comes. And when he comes, he speaks. Verse nine, the Lord God called to the man, where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? I think you know this, God is not asking for information. It's not like God wonders like, well, where are you? Because I can't see you. Like God is not just, he's, he's, he's inviting Adam into relationship. He's inviting Eve into relationship. He knows all that's going on. He's just inviting them in. Let's just talk this through. Let's talk this out together. Verse 12, the man said, the woman you put here with me. <laughs> I have to be really careful. I got myself into trouble in the first hour. My wife is not here at church today. And so I have to be really careful with this, with this one. Uh, the man said, the woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. Real quick, Who's Adam blaming? He's not blaming his wife. He's not blaming his wife. Let's look at it one more time. The woman you put here with me, who's he blaming? When the serpent comes, he introduces doubt. What he really wants to do is twist our ability to trust God. And now Adam has lost his trust in God. It's your fault. 
It's the woman you put here with me. It's your fault. And then the Lord God says to the woman, what is this that you've done? And the woman says, the serpent deceived me and I ate. Let's read it incarnationally. Put yourself in the story. God's inviting you and me to respond, to hear these questions from him and to respond to them today, right now. And how about if we do it out loud, all of us? Just kidding, we won't do it out loud. But I want you to think about it. Here we go. Where are you? Who told you that you were naked? And what have you done? Now, before we answer these questions, uh, let me just ask you another question. How do you hear God ask these questions? What does his voice sound like to you? As you hear him ask these questions, like, what do you hear? Like, what, what kind of voice do you hear? Maybe you hear exasperation from God. Where are you? Oh my goodness, where are you? Or maybe you, maybe you hear frustration, like, who told you you were naked? Golly. Or maybe you hear condemnation. What have you done? Oh my gosh, what have you done? It's over. How do you hear God's voice? Before we respond to the questions, we probably need to get settled how you hear God's voice. God's voice comes from a heart of love. So let's think about it. Where are you? Like right now, like right, right now, like where are you? I know you're here, but are you really here? Like is your real self here? Are you partly here and partly over there? Are you partly here and partly bitter about what didn't happen over there? Are you partly here, but your heart is at the game, you know? Are you here? Where are you? Who told you that you were naked? I love this. God says to Adam and Eve, who told you that? I didn't tell you that. Who told you that you weren't spiritual enough, that you weren't smart enough, that you weren't mature enough? Who told you that you had to be afraid, that you couldn't trust? Who told you that? It wasn't him, it wasn't God. Who told you you were naked? A lot of us have these whispers from our past that just seem to permeate our present and they just play over and over again. It's not God. If you are a child of God and you hear condemnation, if you're a child of God and you hear shame, if you're a child of God and you hear judgment, it's not God. And then he says, what have you done? What have you done? What have you done that is so bad that you can't be forgiven? Or what have you not done, right? Maybe it's that thing that you've promised, I will not do it again. I promise I will not do it again. I won't do it again. I promise I won't do it again. And then you just stop promising and you just keep doing it. 
And you're sitting here thinking, I mean, what have I done? I can't stop doing. What have you done that is so big and so bad that he can't forgive again? Okay, two quick questions. And you have to answer these two questions out loud. Here we go. Is there anything that you can do to make God love you more? Okay, we're going to all answer these two questions out loud. Is there anything that you can do to make God love you any more? Is there anything that you can do to make God love you any less? What have you done that he can't forgive? Again, there's nothing that you can do to make God love you any more and there's nothing that you can do to make God love you any less. God doesn't want these guys to live not a moment longer in their nakedness. He moves towards Adam and Eve. Verse 21, the Lord God made garments of skin and Adam and his, for Adam and his wife and clothed them. And the Lord God said, this man now has become like one of us, knowing good and evil, and he must not be allowed to reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. So the Lord God banished him from the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he had been taken. And after he drove the man out, he placed on the east side of the garden of Eden a cherubim and a flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. God fully covers their nakedness. He uses animal skin, signifying this greater sacrifice that will come and then in his mercy, I want you to hear this. In his mercy, God removes Adam and Eve from the garden. It is a consequence, but it is in his mercy that God, that God removes Adam and Eve from the garden. God puts a new boundary of love around Adam and Eve. There are consequences, and I want you to notice that there are consequences but more importantly, I want you to notice that there were two trees in the garden. Adam and Eve ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, but there was another tree we just read about, the tree of life. God's love protects Adam and Eve from eating, or from eating from the tree of life, from going towards the tree of life. In God's love, he protects them from moving towards the tree of life. Had Adam and Eve gone toward the tree of life, had Adam and Eve eaten from this tree of life, they would have, there would have been eternal death. All humanity would have ended. Christ would not have been able to come. God would not have gotten his family back. In God's love and grace, he protects and he redeems all sin. One day, God will redeem all things, even the fallen natural world, and he'll restore all humanity and creation to its glorious intended state. And when that happens, believers like you and me will have access to the tree of life, which will once again be present in the new heaven and in the new earth. If you have your Bibles, go all the way to the end of the love story, all the way to the back, all the way to Revelation chapter 2, verse 7. All the way to the end. Revelation 2, verse 7. And then we're going to read from the very last page of God's great love story. Revelation 2, verse 7 says this. Whoever has ears, let them hear. Is he going to say that one more time? Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. 
to the one who is victorious, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Now flip over to the end. Revelation chapter 22, verses 1 and 2. Revelation 22, verses 1 and 2. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb down the middle of the great street of the city. And on each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. And slide down to verse 14. Blessed are those who wash their robes that they may have the right to the tree of life and may go through the gates into the city. Then down to verse 19. There's some strong words here. And if anyone takes words away from this scroll of prophecy, God will take away from that person any share in the tree of life and in the holy city which are described in the scroll. And he who testified to these things says, yes, I'm coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus, come. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with God's people. Amen. So where are you? Who told you that? And what have you done? I want to invite you to come to the tree of life, which leaves of the tree are for healing, the healing of sin and the healing of relationships, the healing of nations. I want to invite you to just pause to hear his voice. Inviting you in to the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Whoever has ears, let him hear. We'll just give you a moment. We'll just be silent for a moment. We'll just be quiet for a moment. I want to invite you to listen, to allow God to speak to you. And then in just a moment, Sonny will come and lead us. And I want to invite you to respond however God is leading you to respond to his voice. To respond by maybe taking communion, remembering. To respond by remembering. Maybe to respond by declaring as we sing, you praise. Maybe, maybe you need prayer. There's people around you, I'm sure, that would be willing to pray with you. There'll be some folks by the stairs back there. They'd be willing to pray with you in these next moments. But let's begin together in silence. Let's just listen to the voice of the Lord and then respond to his voice. Whoever has ears, let him hear.